November 10, 2021. It's a watch for Pedro show. When I talked to you a couple of years ago in Los Angeles and I asked you if you ever would consider adding another horn to your group, you said probably the thing you would do is, um, if you added anything, you would add drums. <laughs> was that, did, did you have in mind then these kinds of things that, uh... I don't even know, man, but I guess so. And that's just, I feel, still feel so strongly about drums. I really do. You said you were listening to African music and you noticed that uh, if you played that with some of your music, that it still all sounded right because anything you played over the drums. Yeah, I, I feel very strongly about these drums. It's just like I, I experimented in it, but uh, we didn't have too much success. I believe it would have worked, but, uh, you know, Elvin and McCoy, they couldn't hold it. It was time for them to go.
for Pedro Show. Happy Wednesday. Start off the show. John Coltrane talking to Frank Kofsky, November 1966. A little spiel about drums there. And then Corey Fogel, John Wood, dual improvisation from 2021, recent. Speaking yep. of drums. And maybe you could have heard there, I ain't man alone, because of those fucking Estonian software engineers with their Skype invention I got with me. Brother Corey Fogel, welcome aboard, Corey. Yeah, hello. What, Thanks for having me. You're in SoCal, right? What part? I'm in Lincoln Heights, about a minute east of Chinatown. I know Lincoln Heights, yeah, yeah. A little northeast of mayor's office. Yeah. Okay, and uh, actually, you know, the first time that got turned on to you was Carla Boslich. That's right. She was hooking us up for uh, some questions I had about the origins of improvised music in Pedro. <laughs> Can you believe? You know, there's a movie, right, about... Uh, it's a Gene Krupa story, and Steve Allen played him, and he meets Lionel Hampton, like, cooking in Pedro, and they go to, hey, join the band, and let's go to Avalon and Catalina and do some gigs. So Pedro's got some, I think um, Art Pepper's Ma was from here. Nice. I think he was yeah, what's that movie Gartina. called? What's that? What's that movie called? Gene Krupa story? Oh, uh, cool, yeah. But it ain't Gene Krupa, right? It's, it's, I think it's Steve Allen, I can't remember. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, I'm curious about your journey through music, Corey. So please bring your earliest musical memory that you still got in your fucking head case. Yeah, I mean, the uh, music teacher shows up and he asks who wants to play a musical instrument in, uh, during lunchtime. You know, I'm in the fifth grade and say, who wants to play the drums? Or I say, uh, yeah, me. Or who wants to play the clarinet? I also said, me. But then I, uh, I went with the drums and, uh, 
you know, it's funny because you grow up doing it in school and you only get to play, you know, symphonic music, concert band, the Christmas programs. And, Hawaii Five-O, Frankenstein. Uh, yeah, all that stuff. <laughs> or maybe if you're lucky, your high school band director will arrange like Birdland or something. Right? 25 or but, 6 to 4. <laughs> yeah. So uh, I remember I always, that big time. Yeah. Uh, Corey, can we go before that, though? I'm, I'm, I'm curious about when you were a wee lad. And like in the pad you grew up, was there any instruments? Uh, no instruments, but I had the best possible uh, parents for listening to music. You know, they were all into all the classic rock. My dad was super into Jethro Tull and Led Zeppelin and The Who. And Can I tell you about Pedro with yeah. the Tull Connect? The, the first bass man, right? Glenn Cordick. He uh -huh. married a Pedro lady and lived here for a number of years. Then he moved to Hawaii and he passed away a few years ago, but... Yeah, we have a little bit of Tull and Pedro. Nice. Anyway, uh, what was the first record you bought with your own money? Uh, Might have been Madonna, True Blue, or Guns N' Roses, Appetite for Destruction. And what about the first gig you saw? First gig I saw, well, I was three years old, and I was at the Talking Heads concert in Central Park. Wow. So, <laughs> okay, I might um, that tour I might have saw at UCLA. Was uh -huh. it with them doing, like, Take Me to the River? Uh, I think it was Remain in Light tour with like the expanded band. Yeah, it was a big band. It was a big. It was the first. I, I only saw him twice. One was that one, and out in the field. Yeah, there's them plus like five, six, seven people on the stage. But the first time was the whiskey. Yeah, yeah. and wow. I, we somebody told us PCP was strong Mota, but it was not. <laughs> His elephant right. Droga or some shit. And uh, so I fell and got mud all over my face, and I uh, went to the club and. <laughs> Start screaming at the singer, and uh, yeah, it was a thing. It was a thing. But uh, uh, your parents were good listeners, so they had yeah, the they band. had all the Talking Heads and the Devo, and a lot of new wave going on when I was like three, four years old, and then all the classic rock records, David Bowie, and all that stuff. Did you have older brothers or sisters? Nope, I was the oldest and uh, only musician. Okay, okay, okay. Because a lot of my guests that are into experimental stuff, it seems they're the youngest. And they get ah. turned on, but maybe that's because your folks were turning you on to this stuff. So going back to the school thing now, so you want to play every instrument the teacher wants to give it. The problem is the material. Yeah. The so, material, you're just you're stuck with this concert music. And as a drummer, you it's just like a slow drip before you get to be a drummer. First, they say, well, buy this rubber practice pad. <laughs> and that's all you get for like months. And then maybe you get to play the bass drum and then maybe the snare drum. So it's such triangle? a triangle. Did yeah. you ever get to do any triangle? Oh, definitely. You paid my dues with the triangle for sure. What about marching band? Were you glockenspiel? Uh, I was like pretty ambitious with like the quads. And, oh, yeah. Know, they're bitching. But I didn't have, like, super competitive marching band. I had this kind of, like, you know, Scottish style. All the drums were tuned really open. Yeah. In, uh, this is in, like, South Jersey, right outside of Philadelphia. Where also, I was also, with quads, you don't have to do traditional, right? You can still do match. Right. Yeah. Totally. Yeah, exactly. But, listeners, uh, traditional, in the old-timey days, you'll notice that they hold their sticks different, depending on the hand, because the fucking drum was slung on a sling. Totally. Yeah, when trap right contraption, it just changes everything. But some dudes still kept that way of playing. In fact, Bill, yeah, I had my uh, Bill Baseman, uh, Blasters drummer, he plays uh, 
traditional, but he reverses the stick on one hand, so it's got no tip and fat end, right? Ah, right, right, right. Yeah. <laughs> it's trippy about that stuff. I get into it big time. Uh, what about the thing, not after school, like graduating, but afternoon? The garage band, the basement band, the bedroom band? Yeah, I had some friends. We were all into, you know, grunge music. This is like 1993, 92, 94. So we would get together. And it was just like one of these stories where it's like, we're always looking for a bass player. Can we find a bass player yet? <laughs> I met this guy. Oh, I met him at the mall. I think he plays it with, you know, he's got a Misfits shirt on. So New let's Jersey. Get yeah. <laughs> Doyle. So. No, Jerry. Sorry, sorry. <laughs> sorry, Jerry. Yeah. <laughs> Don't want him to fuck up like that. E-A-E-I-A. You know, you, you played with uh, four strings, but they were two of the same. So when one right. broke, yeah, you didn't have um, what, how do you get the trap Because you're playing this piecemeal thing at school and shit. So when do you get your first trap kit? Uh, like I'm 12 or 13 years old. And, you know, I start to understand that like a drum set is a thing I can play. Like it's deep in the closet in the band room. And if I'm lucky, I get like, you know, sneak in after lunch and play it there, you know, as a like a refuge from all the concert band and triangle and cymbal that I'm playing. So there's a drum set. I start playing it. Eventually, like the uh, the choir teacher asks me to play like on the jazz concert. So finally, I'm like, I got my first little like jazz drum set gig with like some Christmas songs in the seventh grade. And then my parents finally realized to buy me one in the eighth grade. So I'm about 12 years old and they buy me a drum. So you get your own. okay? well, thank God you get that first one to show people it wasn't just talk. Yeah, yeah, totally. Right. Look, you gave me this music here, a a project called Spinneret dot S. Yeah, yeah, the spinnerets. Oh, is that what it is? Is it dot or is it apostrophe? That's a dot. Spinnerets. Okay, okay. spinnerets. And this tune, Pissnerine, so I'm going to play it. Cool.
Watt from Pedro's show. Uh, some friends of mine, I found out, is in the spinnerets, you know. And great cat, John Dietrich, incredible guitar man. I think he's living in New Mexico, Berkey. Yeah, and, he uh, is. And then here, I think maybe Silver Lake Echo Park area is a Vice Cooler. Steve, you know, Steve, I, his brother, his brother, Steve. Oh, it's Steve. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. You know, I, I remember uh, Honey Tooth, right? They jump around in bun huggers. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Honey Tooth is uh, Vice's band. Yeah. <laughs> the lady from Batmobile, right? Bratmobile. Oh, right, right, right. My memory, all the connects, all the connects. Then we had Sam Lock Ward out of Iowa City. It's a flop. And finally, Corey Fogel, Del Sol String Quartet. Z Zygmy. Yeah, yeah Zygmy. <laughs> like the Polish spelling. <laughs> well, well, enlighten us to this stuff, Corey. Uh, yeah, I mean, so trying to deal with improvised music in different ways and uh, creating like different kinds of compositions for improvisers to play that I will improvise on top of and trying to write it down in, you know, a semi-formal way. And so this is, uh, you know, I, so I'm finishing my Ph.D. at UC Irvine in, um, in, in music. And it's a program with improvisers and composers and people that build their own synthesizers and computer programming, you know, wizards. So we had a string quartet visiting us and every different kind of composition was thrown in front of them. So this is something I wrote and I notate the rhythms and I notate these melodic shapes, but I don't really use the music staff. So they're kind of interpreting like what pitches they want to use, what range of the instrument they want to use. And they have certain cues to like improvise, certain cues to transpose into any key they want to transpose in. But basically, yeah, the string quartet is sort of reading these rhythms and melodic shapes without all the information that a classical string quartet would prefer to read. Corey, really interesting. So you're exploring different ways for musicians to connect why they're doing it. Definitely. I had a talk with my friend Peter this morning about, he is asking me, what is swing, Watt? And I said, swing is something that traditional way of writing music can't really convey, right? Yeah. Right? That thing, the strut, the swing, the shuffle, yeah. right? Because mm -hmm. it was written for, well, also it was many hundreds of years ago, and actually set up for opera and stuff. Mm -hmm, and when it sure. came to rhythms, right, they were really, and you being a drummer, man, you'd be way short on that. So I, well, I was trying to tell them, it's not out of time, but there's push and pull, like the ocean has tide, has swell, and and, and uh, come suck in and push out. You know, like Elvin Jones playing, right? Mm -hmm. and, and, and But if you have this old paradigm that says, this is the rule, this is the way we're going to, everything goes through this funnel, man, you start missing out on some opportunity, right? Okay, so... I kind of jumped ahead because you're in upper education. So you, you graduate high school, but during high school, though, you're doing, what would you call it, grunge? Yeah, that was that was the main thing for me. So Dave Grohl? Uh, yeah, Dave Grohl, Matt Cameron. Kind Matt of the, Cameron, the, okay. You know uh, uh, Chamberlain, Matt Chamberlain? Yeah, uh, yeah. He's Pedro. Right, oh, yeah, that's he, right. He grew I up with that. uh, Jerry Trevitich, my second-man drummer, same, uh, about a block away from each other. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so it's because the right age at the right time and all this thing and stuff like that but did you go back what about people like mitch mitchell or elvin jones yeah i love mitch mitchell ginger baker yeah ginger baker bonham loved keith moon absolutely yeah keith moon john bonham you know what else we do you remember a guy named frosty he played for mm -hmm. lee michaels do you know what i mean 
Yeah, sounds he had this He had this technique where fuck the sticks. I'm playing the trap right. with my hands. And Bottom right. got into this shit. And I'm, the only time I saw Zeppelin, he that's with Solo. I think he had fish in the fucking uh, toms. <laughs> yeah, Vista-like kind of trip like that. Oh, so, yeah, yeah, yeah. So did any of these uh, bands uh, do gigs? No, not Just really. You know, band. it was like a different culture. It was like we sure, were in a sure, tiny sure. suburb. And then I moved to Arizona to Phoenix my senior year. And that's when suddenly, like, you really felt the West Coast in action. And you saw how people were just getting out. They had more agency, more freedom. So when I moved to Phoenix, Arizona, that's when I started playing gigs with bands in my high school there, my senior year of high school. And it was just a different vibe, different different access. Yeah, you know? yeah, Corey, do you remember your first gig? Uh, first gig is, like, at a, you know, YMCA or something with, like, some bands that were... Yeah, they're like maybe a little Christian rock. Not sure. But um, yeah, definitely like kind of grungy. And then, yeah, some high school talent show stuff where we're trying to like. Was that first gig a success? Did they throw shit? Uh, it was a success. You okay. know, there was like, and there was, there was a culture of people already knowing to go out and see bands different than it was sure, sure. in New Jersey, you know? Right, right. Um, so yeah. Although great. there was some places, I remember. Uh, well, it was more north, like uh, by uh, Trenton, right? Was it called uh, City Gardens? City, Gar- right. City Gardens. So, so there, there was some gig stuff uh, uh, early on and stuff. But you're right about maybe a little more out here, a little more open. Okay. And uh, the material. Were you guys mm-hmm. doing originals or were you copying? Originals. I think the band I was in was really influenced by uh, the band uh, Live outside of like Hershey, Pennsylvania. Oh, yeah. I remember those guys. <laughs> <laughs> but then I had like you know I had like my jazz band friends also, and we were more we were already kind of interested in like John Zorn and no no uh, what, do you, what do you mean by jazz band friends? Uh, these are friends that like we had in school and like we were like all in the jazz band or like well can we do more interesting things than this and ended up just being at like you know the high school talent show and stuff and just oh, oh. it's interesting. So these are the guys who really know how to play because they were being well not really but. They've learned a way to play because of education, but you guys didn't take advantage of that to make a band outside. We didn't, no. But uh, that's, was, yeah. I think that's one of the problems with institutionalized learning sometimes. Whereas maybe the bedroom band, the basement band, you know what I mean? Yeah. Learning by doing. I'm not saying that's the only way, and I think one can inform each other. But it seems if you go. You know what I'm. You know what I'm trying to say. The experience should be like a lot of layers. Yeah, and if your parents aren't musicians, they're not going to encourage you to get out there on the stage and go do it. You know, maybe they'll say, "Oh, why don't you go busk at the, the supermarket or something?" But <laughs> they're not encouraging you to like get out there and like play an actual gig because they because they don't know it. Yeah, but you know what? Sometimes that might help, right? Like a farmer would tell you, if he wants a good crop, use a lot of manure. Yeah, so maybe yeah. like bring it, motherfuckers. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Things work out the way they do. They do. So yeah. how how long are you with these uh, grunge guys? Uh, this is just like in high school. You know, my whole year of high school in Phoenix, Arizona, uh, playing here, playing there, like some parties and things. And uh, yeah, and then I then you graduate, you know, and you don't think yeah, yeah. a higher education yet though for music, right? Yeah. Um, you know, my parents didn't go to college, so once again, they didn't really know how to encourage me to go to college. So I'm trying to make a triumphant return to the East Coast 
And then I go to this uh, jazz school called the University of the Arts, which is kind of like a baby Berkeley school of music in a way. And, what, town? Uh, what town, Corey? Yeah, so... What, yeah, what, ta- I, what town, Corey? This is in Philly. Okay. So, yeah, that's when I moved back there and I started studying jazz. Um, also trying to, like, look for people that are interested in doing more. Um, wasn't really, like, playing, like, local gigs or anything. I was just, like, you know, in school and... Uh, well, how how would you rate the experience of the school? Was it good? It was okay. I mean, it was like really straight lace, and then I got a lot more into like electronic music and trying to find the ways to be as creative as possible. And a lot of people, you know, a high school jazz band and a high school jazz band director were doing these reductions of, you know, popular like Maynard Ferguson and you know Woody Herman tunes, maybe like a, a Coltrane tune. But then I get to this, you know, jazz school, and a lot of the people that are there, they already know what it's like to play in a quartet, to like comp, and to like really speak the language. And I just kind of knew how to play the drums, and I could play some different styles. But I didn't really know what it meant to be in like a small jazz combo until I got there. So that was really like eye-opening for me. Um, I immediately kind of realized it wasn't like totally like my music um, and the most creative I found I could be was in like the electronic music studios that were available. Um, yeah. So then I started looking for other stuff, other schools. I kind of wanted to transfer. I wasn't sure exactly what I, what I wanted. Um, I wanted to go to Oberlin college that has like amazing. Ohio. Yeah. Yeah. Greg Sarnier, great drummer man went to school there. And I just yeah, had some other cat on the show just a few episodes ago. And I, I got to play there too. That 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 interesting place, really interesting place. Corey, we're at the end of the first hour of the November 10, 2021 edition of Wapito Show. Special guest Corey Fogel. Hold tight for hour two. November 10, 
به دشمن دهم بگیتی کسی را نماند وفا بگیتی کسی را نماند وفا زبان و روان ها شود پر جفا بریزند خون از خاصه بریزند خون از خاصه شود روزگار بداراسته زیان کسان از سود خیش زیان کسان از سود خیش به جویند و دینند در آرد پیش زیان کسان از سود خیش به جویند و دینند Watch for Pedro Show. Start second hour off with COVID denality, COVID denality, and uh, that's Corey Fogel, Ryan Breen, and Davin Givon, in a kind of a little pun rock there. Okay, uh, from uh, Living Colors. Uh, 
original there, and uh, but uh, but uh, topically appropriate, right? Yeah. yeah. And then uh, SLWCC Watt, the uh, collab I got with Sam Lockwood in Iowa City, uh, I sigh. And finally, Sabarg Ensemble. Sabarg Ensemble, Cibarg, yeah, that's Cibarg. some Persian music. There's some people I play with down in Irvine. Okay, in a in a, in a tune called Shahnameh. Yeah. Okay. Also, oh, uh, near where you go to school. Yep, we all we met in school, and they were starting this ensemble out of uh, San Diego. So uh, yeah, I've been their drummer for a couple Man, of years. That's a trip when I, you know, I went to college in the late seventies, and like, right, you couldn't tell people you were punk. You know, people, some people knew and called you assholes, shit like that. But the only guys to be friends with me on, on the campus was Iranian, and then at that time, Savak, right, the Shah was had secret police following him and shit. Oh yeah, yeah. And we're talking forty years ago, and uh, but, oh, wow. but it shows to go you right. Uh, so uh, let, let's continue with your journey. Like you're looking for different schools after that uh, that first one in Philly, and and you're you're going more towards uh, electronic exper experimental. Yeah, so I went to this summer program at Oberlin College, and it was just all these Buchla synthesizers, and they're teaching music software, Maximus P, and there's like the surge, and I'm just blown away by all these, you know, new kinds of, uh, you know, methodologies. And I wanted to go there. Didn't really work out. I don't know if I was like academically up to snuff to get into Oberlin, but uh, that's when I just kind of resigned myself to uh, going to Arizona State University, back where my parents lived. And, you know, I was in the jazz program there and I had to study classical percussion there. They also had electronic music, which was cool. So it was a little bit of everything. And, uh, I was really happy that I had that I was forced to study classical percussion the entire time I was there. Even if, uh, can, can I ask you that, that makes me think of something. Uh, the, yeah. the, the, the the symphony in Cincinnati had a uh -huh. very young percussionist named uh, Art Tripp. Yeah. Who went on to play with who? Cam Beefheart, right? And Frank Zappa. Yeah, yeah. So it, music is music, right? So when you right. learn that stuff, you were just increasing your vocabulary. Absolutely. I mean, it was so influential that I had to study classical percussion while I was a jazz major. and It was great. And on the side, were you still rock and roll? Uh, yeah, but it took me a while to come out of my shell, honestly. I was listening to a ton of electronic music, noise music, experimental jazz. And I don't know, it takes you a while to just like break out and do what you're hearing in your head. So I'm just like swinging along, ding, da, ding, ding, da, ding, playing a lot of bebop, playing percussion ensemble. And really institutionalized in a way that, like, maybe I would have told my younger self to, you know, break out as soon as you can. Um, but I started playing jazz gigs around Phoenix all the time. But it took me a while to sort of, like, play what I was hearing in my head, honestly, until I moved to L.A. in 2004, uh, 2002. Okay, rock and roll, bass guitar, rock and roll, kick drum, jazz, yeah. kick drum, so much different. Totally. Jazz, bass, right, right? They're using the kick for bombs. Right. Right? And uh, Earl Palmer, right? I, I, what I read was Little Richard, they couldn't carry a bass guy, so he comes up with this steady kick drum thing. No longer bombs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? And that's so much like beating on the ride or the hi-hat to keep the fucking time. And the, the, the bass guy don't have to just do eighth notes. Because electric bass. and But... As a player, as a young man, and learning about music, did you trip on this? The way things act different in the different whatever styles? Or... 
I mean, I just kind of knew that I wanted things to sound differently. And I knew that I, you know, I didn't try to sound like a rock drummer. Um, and I think I notoriously sound too much like my own self when someone's asking me to play like a rock gig. Like, hey, you play a rock gig? Like, yeah, sure. <laughs> and then I bring like the open bass drum or like the really dead kind of thud, sort of thundery bass drum. And uh, so, yeah, I'm thinking you about know, You know stuff. where you can really tell it's a jazz guy with his trap set? He has tuned the toms up so fucking high. <laughs> yeah. And Max that wasn't Roach, really... right? Max Roach. Yeah, oh, my yeah. God. I mean, I love it, though. I ain't against it. Yeah. But I knew that wasn't totally my style either. So, yeah, I was just trying to find my voice sure, and sure. playing jazz gigs and trying to make them as creative as possible. And, you know, you're learning about how you're supposed to, you know, lock in with the bassist and whether the bassist is the bottom of the band or is the drummer in the bottom of the band. So well, for sure, the awful. kick drum and the bass do do a little dance, I think. For, and that these sure. bands without bass guitars, okay, there's more room in the van, but I'm sorry, that poor lonely kick drum. Totally. Yeah, totally. Okay. <laughs> I got a fucking ally there. Okay. Well, here, 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 you gave me this music, Weaponry, from Object as Subject. Yeah. Thank <laughs> you. 
Dude, that's some desert shit right there. <laughs> Watch for Pedro show that chunk of music. Weaponry, object to subject. Enlighten us, Corey. Yeah, so that is a uh, queer punk band that was started a few years ago uh, by a friend named Paris Hurley. She is a wizard on the violin and took a shift wanted to do more vocals and more kind of ritualistic kind of performance punk rock and um you know we were in a band together she was playing bass i was playing drums for a different rock band she asked me to do this session and um i was so happy to do this it was like one of the best records i've ever made i could play as heavy as i wanted to and it was just like all this stuff from my entire life of music came out into this really really hard shit in the recording studio um really heavy really fun to play um yeah one of, the, one of my favorite records i've made victoria shed after that with uh, live at seaman hole number two april 21 2017 Corey fogel devin hoff tony malaby devin was just on a few uh, episodes ago uh untitled tri- trio improvisation 2016 incredible yeah. uh bass man and he just done a thing with uh, a lot of bow a lot arco with some uh, uh, Irish English uh, folk singer lady. He he reimagined her voice on the Arco uh, bass. Yeah. Right, I was at that performance about three weeks ago. Oh, that's right. He's out here playing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Ah, uh, so yeah. Now something like that, you know, uh, like this this untitled trio improvisation. You 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 you're not worrying how you're going to lock in with uh, Devin because you guys are going to be able to uh, make an interesting conversation out of this, right? Yeah, and we had just been on the road playing together with a singer, Julia Holter, for like three or four years straight. So then we just kind of have all of that going into this improvisation. And so it's a lockup of a different kind, I guess. You know? I don't know Tony. Oh, he is uh, someone that also grew up in Arizona State. He was a little older than uh, most of my cohort. Sun Definitely. Like, yeah. Inspiration and mentor to many of the people that I went to college with when I was studying jazz. And, uh, yeah, so we just threw that down at his house in Jersey City about five years ago and uh, came out really amazingly. Bitchin'. Yeah, I think Devin's, he's living out there somewhere. He's in Jersey Jersey City. Jersey City, where WFMU is. Yeah, right. Right, and that statue of the guy getting the bayonet in the back, Katyon. God, that's a (laughs) graphic piece of work there. Look, we're at the end of the second hour. Uh November 10, 2021, and this Watt Peter show special guest, Corey Fogel. Hold time for half three. November 10, 2021. It's the third hour of the Watt for Pedro show.
for Pedro show start third hour off with Julie Halter we were just talking about Chiatus and then uh Bomas Prendon give me pop pop mantra mantra tantra from DC area and then night jewel with when there is no sun and off air people were we were having a little fun with this idea of what's pop and what ain't 
And so these are a little different than the other uh, kind of music we've been playing from Corey. You, you want to talk about it, Corey? Uh, yeah, well, Julia and I both went to CalArts for our graduate degrees. And, uh, you know, when you graduate from CalArts, even if you're not there at the same time, you kind of end up being friends and in a community together. Sure. So, yeah, we were just kind of in an experimental music community. And turns out she was kind of getting some more recognition and notoriety for her songs and was going to start touring and was putting a band together. So I've been playing with her for about 10 years now. And uh, it's been, yeah, really awesome, really amazing. Um, and Night Jewel? Uh, uh, Night Jewel is a close friend of Julia's. I met her through Julia. And she made this record, newest record, just came out about a month ago. And uh, we, um, yeah, we made it about two years ago. And uh, one of the first records where someone didn't really do a whole lot of editing, so she really trusted me to lay down these beats over mostly, you know, synthesizer, drum machine backgrounds, and to play live over them. So that was really a you great know, experience. You being a drummer man is beautiful. I love what you do for both of them. You're very generous, very generous. Uh, let me ask you this. I'm yeah. just putting it out there. Tell me if it's full of shit. Especially being a drummer has to do little loops of stuff, but... Uh, improvisation's big enemy is repetition. Mm -hmm. Would you agree? Uh, uh, no, I would not agree. Okay, actually, because okay. you know, I good, good. I'm glad you don't. <laughs> because yeah. that is just too simplistic, right? Yeah, I've improvised very minimal things. It's just kind of incessant, recursive, just monotonous. But, but and, little uh, things are changing slowly, like a brick wall. One brick at a time is changing. Yeah, I definitely refer uh, 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 to... Mr. Yeah. Glass is uh, Einstein on the beach, right? There's small changes going on. Totally. Love that. I love writing music like that with those kinds of changes. Um, but you, you know, can also it, improvise that way, right? Say that again? You can also improvise that because remember, I, that was my theory. Oh, yeah. the, the enemy. It's not the enemy. It could be a co-conspirator. Absolutely. And I love those micro variations that come from exploring the same sound over and over, the same riff the same gesture in your body and yeah seeing how each little repetition is minutely different is really a beautiful thing to me and uh like you were talking about when the first hour something about sounded to me like trying to dance on a rug that's itself moving around and mm -hmm. uh because this seems like a dilemma to me but maybe i'm wrong when it comes to improvisation like who goes first yeah yeah, you got to jump into it and you just kind of take whatever you're being given, whether that's someone else's sound or even if you drop a stick and you have to work with that. You know, it's all about just making something out of whatever you're being given. Work in the room. Mm -hmm. You know, one time I was doing a recording thing with Nels. He had 36 pedals. I said, what's your favorite one? He said the volume pedal. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, I, and, I, and I said, why? Because you got to listen. Totally. So you agree that's a big component. Definitely. So I even though you said somebody's got to stick it out there, pull down their pants, whatever the fuck, it can't be totally like that, right? Because it's got to be a conversation. So somebody, you put it out there and you, you kind of wait to see what the reaction is? Yeah, reaction. And you just take that as like the phrase. You take that as the dialogue and say, okay, this is what we're working with. Uh, we left some space. You left some space. So now we're dealing with this cycle of space or this cycle of non-space. I like this idea because in the bass... Probably with the drums too. We got this thing called work in the holes. You got to almost see in the future. You got to put places people can go. Definitely. Yeah. Okay. I'm gonna play this other uh, 
improv you did with the uh, uh, brother we lost, John Russell.
Life for Pedro Show. Last music for this edition. Entitled Trio Proposition 2019. Corey Fogel, John Butcher, John Russell. Then we yeah. got Headboggle from his new album, Spy Show. And finally, Solo Improvisation. One of my big drummer heroes. Actually, not Hollywood punk. You know, although he got big in that scene, he's actually from Phoenix. Mr. Don Bowles. And he oh, worked yeah. in his club Dingling in 2016. Yeah, very thankful every time Don gives me the opportunity to play, and this is one of my favorite solos I've ever done. Happened there. He's a, he's an incredible. Guy. I mean, he plays everything right, and he lives in a practice pad, I think, in uh, Huntington Park. Yeah. Uh, uh, he's a great grandfather. That's what I was just gonna say. <laughs> <laughs> he's a few months older than I am, but the guy's. I mean, his waist must be like twelve inches. <laughs> I know. Yeah. Remember Georgie. With, uh, to like describe his ass, he just puts his two fists together. There's Don Bo's ass. <laughs> <There's a total. laughs> but he's a great cat. And I always thought he was this little boy, you know, when he first joined the Germs. But, uh -huh. man, he's so good on that GI record. Oh. oh, man, something else. And he was part of this little posse, the Consumers. I don't uh -huh. know if you knew these guys because they were pro was a little down the road from you. But they turned into human hands and, uh, I don't know, 45 Grave and stuff like this. I think Paul mm. Cutler went on to Dream Syndicate. and It was the important little faction that moved over. Uh, and then the Meat Puppets came in through the Monitor people. They had friends in the Valley, Monitor. And uh, tell me about this, though, the, the first thing we played in this chunk of music, this uh, uh, improv with uh, the two Johns. Right. Well, uh, going over to London with, like, a punk band called the Meishi and, uh, you know, many years ago, a friend of mine told me to look up John Russell, and he was just the nicest, most welcoming person. You know, you're trying to get gigs in cities you've never heard of, and right. when people have never heard of you, you're new there. Right. And they're like, hey, can I play? I'm, I'm from somewhere far away. You don't know who I am at all. Right. And Russell was like, yes, come play. I'll play a duo with you. Come to my house. We'll drink. And every time I've been to London, like over you know, 15 years, between 2005 and... Uh, Last time we did this, 2019, he was just like the nicest person to me. And I got to meet so many other improvisers through him. He put me on a show playing solo with John Russell playing solo. So we met. So finally, I had a night at Cafe Oro and the booker just said, hey, well, do you want to play with the two Johns? They're both willing to play with you. I said, fuck yes, please. And uh, so, yeah. We what, got what, what better gift can one musician do for another than something like that? That's bitching. I love to yep. hear that, Corey. I yeah. love it. What do you got going now? Uh, yeah, right now. So finishing up my PhD, I just premiered a new group at the Angel City Jazz Festival a few nights before you played. Oh, uh, yeah, and we shared this. Well, not the stage, same stage, but the yeah. same event. Yeah, so I played uh, second night with a, a new group with a trombonist uh, who I've known and played with a long time, Maddie Barbier. Uh, great friend and saxophonist who lives in San Francisco named Beth Shank. We've been friends for 25 years, went to college together. And a wonderful friend named Judith Berkson, pianist, who uh, just moved here to do her doctorate at CalArts. And so we had a new quartet of my semi-improvised music. We did that a month ago, recorded an album. So hopefully it's Semi-improvised. So what, like you, you uh, allow spaces inside a composition? Uh, I'll make a roadmap and I'll just give these prompts using like visual language or actual notes sort of obscured or modified from traditional notation. And I'll say, here's how we get from point A to point B. 
to point C, and it'll end up being like an hour long kind of odyssey. That's right. semi complete. Voyage. And, and, <laughs> yeah. That's bitching. That is beautiful. I love to hear it. Look, when you get new stuff, you're invited on anytime you want. You come aboard, will you, please, Corey? Awesome, yes. And is there a place for you on the internet that people can go to? Yeah, CoreyFogel.com. Okay, people, C O R E Y F O G E L.com. Yeah. Okay, keep on keeping on, brother. It's been yeah. November 10, 2021. Dishwap Peter shall keep your powder dry.